guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm feeling good. It's almost May already somehow. It is. It is. I don't, That's I don't. how time works. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like it should not be May yet. It feels like this I year agree. is flying by. I just can't believe already that we are at the end of spring, about to have summer starting and another year is just gone. So <laughs> our intros could best be described as talking about time and dates or the weather. <laughs> we are 95 years old. No one's going to believe that we're not. <laughs> what, what else is there to talk about? Anyway, you know. <laughs> Before we get started, I wanted to make a quick note about last week's story, which was about the Michael Morton case. And thank you so much for all the people that wrote us and said they really enjoyed that story. That story meant so much to me, so I really appreciate it. We did hear from a few people. The story, we talked about it really being in Austin, but technically it was in Georgetown, Texas. And the reason that matters is Georgetown is actually in the county of Williamson, which is where all of this really went down. And Austin is actually in Travis County. So different counties, different prosecutions, different, you know, all of that stuff. So we just wanted to make sure we corrected that before we get into today's show and probably give some other questionable facts. Yeah. <laughs> As per usual. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about a story that took place at the Cape Fear Serpentarium. This was the most exotic reptile facility in the country, and they had live exhibits of the world's rarest and deadliest reptiles all in the same place. How would you like to go there, Melissa? Oh, um, no, thanks. Uh, I The other day we were working in the yard and there was I went to move mulch and there was a snake I almost grabbed. And that is as close as I want to ever get to a reptile. I can't imagine being enclosed in a place with a snake. No. Yeah. Get it away from me. Or several snakes. Mm. Yeah. So it, it was also in this snake museum that the tragic murder of Dean Rippa occurred. Dean Rippa was the owner of Cape Fear Serpentarium, and he was born in 1957 in Williamton, North Carolina, and raised by his parents who were wealthy business developers. And before we get into what happened in this story, we're going to tell you a little bit about Wilmington, North Carolina in this week's segment of We Googled This City. Wilmington, North Carolina is located in the far east side of North Carolina, and as of 2017, has a population of around 110,000 residents. Carolina Beach State Park is one of the few places in the world that the Venus flytrap can be seen in its native environment. The carnivorous plant can be seen year-round but only blooms a few days a year in the spring. I know that the Venus flytrap is real, but don't you kind of think it's just something you saw on cartoons when you were a kid? <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see one in real life, I have to just go play with it or like make it close up. I, they're so fun. Wait, you see them? Yeah, they have them like at Home Depot in the garden section. <laughs> A carnivorous Venus flytrap? Oh my gosh. I'm just like living <laughs> under a rock or something. I didn't know they had them at Home Depot. Okay, yeah. my fact doesn't even make sense anymore. I'm like, you can only find it in this place. And you're like, no, aisle 10 at Home Depot. <laughs> They're on clearance after Christmas. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, speaking of Christmas... Next door in Wrightsville Beach, for the past 30 years, the town of Wrightsville Beach near Wilmington has something called a flotilla. What's a flotilla, you should be asking yourself? Well, every year, residents of this area, they decorate their boats and have a bit of a boat parade for Christmas and during the holidays, which sounds like a really fun thing to kind of see. Like, you know, I always we always drive through the neighborhoods 
to see lights during Christmas and stuff and the holidays. And it would be really cool to see a bunch of boats lit up. I don't know how you yeah. say that. Yeah, that would be awesome. It would be an interesting thing. Yeah, I thought so. Wilmington is affectionately referred to as Wilmywood, okay, or the Hollywood of the East. Not sure if Hollywood actually agrees with this nickname, but several movies and TV shows have actually been filmed here, like Iron Man 3, Sleeping with the Enemy, and Sleepy Hollow, and shows like Dawson's Creek and One Tree Hill. Speaking of One Tree Hill, every year Wilmington hosts a One Tree Hill convention where fans of the show and several of the actors actually come together to do whatever it is that one would do at a convention for One Tree Hill. Which begs the question, what would a Moms and Murder convention look like, Mandy? I have an answer for you. (laughs) I'm not actually putting, I have a whole whole sentences. It would be me, Mandy, all of you drinking Diet Coke, and some of you would be chasing Mandy's chickens. Others would be sitting in sweaters and Snuggies watching Sonia Morgan try to hang sheets on her windows in her new apartment on Real Housewives of New York. The office would play on a constant loop, and several computers would be up, and the only website you can connect to is Reddit. And we would... (laughs) (laughs) And we would call it the... Oh, I wish I could go, but my car is making a funny noise convention. And then we'd all stay home and eat cupcakes instead. And that is <laughs> why we will never have a convention. But I really feel like that's what it would look like. <laughs> Honestly, I kind of want that to be a real thing. <laughs> I know. It sounds so awesome. It does. It's, it sounds crazy, <laughs> but it could be fun. So from a young age, this guy, Dean, was very fascinated with snakes, and he would actually bring home many of them in secret against his parents' you know, knowledge. They had no idea that he was doing this, and he would hide them in the attic of his family home. Oh, my gosh. My kids are free to do literally anything but hide snakes in the attic of our <laughs> home. <laughs> I know. Next time you feel like a terrible parent, just like, that's your limit. Just no, no snakes in the attic. Yeah. That's crazy. And can you imagine, like, for a while, they probably didn't know they were there, and you just heard noises at night, and you're like, oh, the wind is blowing yeah. again, and yeah. it's just, like, snakes attacking each other, <laughs> or whatever <laughs> snakes do. So at one point, Dean had hundreds of snakes and many different varieties, and several of these were actually even venomous snakes. It was not until Dean was actually bitten by a venomous snake, it was a cottonmouth, that his parents found out about his snake collection in the attic. The cottonmouth snake is a venomous snake in the pit viper family that's native to the southeastern United States. We have them here in Florida. It's like one of the six species of venomous snakes that we have here. I've actually never seen one, thankfully. I don't want to. But adult cottonmouth snakes are really actually pretty big for a snake. And although dying from a bite is pretty rare, it oftentimes does lead to a really nasty scar. And occasionally in severe cases, if you get your you know, hand or foot or extremity bit, you could have to have it amputated. Sounds wow. terrifying. Yes. So Dean was upset and a little bit conflicted about telling his parents that he had gotten bit by this cottonmouth <laughs> snake, which is so innocent and sweet and something a kid would do. Like, I wouldn't put it past my kids to, like, wait an, an exceptionally long time to tell me something like that. Right. You know, I could like, totally you know see, what's coming after that. <laughs> yeah, I could see them waiting and just not wanting to tell me. So Dean did not want to tell his parents, but he knew he was at least smart enough to know that he could die from this bite. So he told his parents, you know, he was only 14, so he needed them to take him to the hospital. Dean ended up spending two weeks in the ICU treating a fever, a horribly swollen arm and blistering skin. But this did not deter his passion for snakes. 
even after his parents had gotten rid of all the snakes in the attic and they, you know, donated his entire snake collection to a roadside zoo, Dean really picked up his habit or his hobby rather right back up where he left off and collected even more snakes. And not only did he collect snakes, but he also taught himself how to breed them. I assume all of this is still going on in the attic of the family home. <laughs> Maybe the basement. He probably had to ch- had to change it up or his parents would be like, we're checking the attic again. He's like, all right, go ahead. Nothing's there. But <laughs> And but this is like the days before. This sounds. This makes me sound like so young. But this is the days before the internet and stuff. Like he had to figure this all out on his own. It's crazy, crazy, crazy to me. It is super crazy. He began to earn money by collecting snakes for that same zoo that his parents donated his first collection to. With the money he was earning, he bought even more snakes and even more exotic ones like the king cobras, black mambas, and gaboon vipers. I've actually never heard of the last one. It turns out at the time, you could actually order poisonous snakes through the mail. Uh, Sure. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the postal service, what is it, through wind and rain and all that stuff? I guess it's also (laughs) even delivering snakes. So despite his parents' objection to his hobby, he continued to keep the snakes in his parents' attic. So only a year after he had this bite from the cotton mouth, one of his new cobras had actually gotten loose in the house and his whole family had to move out of the house for five days before the cobra could be found. Oh my gosh. I I just, this is such like a teenage boy thing to me or, you know, a teenage kid really, right? Like, I know you told me not to. You might want to know there's actually a cobra loose. (laughs) We might have to get out. I'm mating it with, you know, another one. But we should be back in a few hours and it's five days later. I can't even imagine. So despite these few mishaps, Dean was actually very brilliant with these snakes and he studied and learned about them extensively. He knew everything there was to know about snakes and he was obviously completely obsessed. But his eye was not singularly focused to herpetology, which is the branch of zoology concerned with the study of amphibians. You know I'm really smart and didn't have to Google that. (laughs) But he had a wide range of creative interests as well. He loved painting, writing, and music. And I was so interested in this because the way he learns and learns about all these arts is unlike really anyone else's story I've heard. It's just pretty incredible. So traditional schooling really just wasn't feeding his creative and adventurous spirit. So Dean ended up dropping out of high school. Taking a brief amount of time off from his passion for herpetology, Dean actually moved to Italy and studied painting with portraitist Pietro Anagani. He was gifted at painting and was later introduced to the famed artist. Salvador Dali. Ever heard of him? No big deal. You know, (laughs) he he ended up actually spending a great deal of time with him in studying and developing his own style. If you're not familiar with Salvador Dali, he was a famous surrealist artist. And one of his most notable pieces of art was this painting called The Persistence of Memory. And it comes up in pop culture a lot. You'll see it in various like, I feel like I've seen it on album covers, but I'm also thinking that I'm just making that up. I've seen it everywhere. It really is everywhere. It is, yeah. So if you're not familiar with it, it's an oil painting that appears to have several watches or clocks that are almost melting off the painting. So if you've trained with Salvador Dali, it really said a lot about Dean's artistic ability. So this guy is just into everything. He just seems like one of those people just with the most interesting brain, really. You know, like he just, he's so passionate about things and also has such a natural talent. And I don't know. I just thought that was really cool. Just seems really like a intel- very intelligent person. Super intelligent, but not necessarily like like he 
he did leave school like that just wasn't the route for him but he had so much to offer i mean he had he just knew so much and was so creative and just so intelligent so dean's artistic style was macabre and haunting you could really see salvador dolly's influences in his painting Collecting and breeding snakes for zoos and private collectors really became a way for him to support his art career. We're going to talk more about his art career and the other things he was doing, which are just insanely interesting to me. And we're going to talk a lot more about Dean and what's to come after we take a quick word from this week's sponsors. Mother's Day is around the corner, and if you're like me, the list of moms in your life just keeps growing. I thought I ran out of Mother's Day gift ideas until we tasted the most incredible bite-sized cupcakes. They're called Baked by Melissa, and they are to die for. I was so excited to see such a bright and fun box filled with little pieces of heaven. The cupcakes are just so adorable. You actually don't want to eat them, but then you do because they're cupcakes, duh, and they are knock your socks off fresh and delicious. Baked by Melissa's bite-sized cupcakes ship perfectly and will make the perfect gift for all of the mothers in your life. Baked by Melissa's bite-sized cupcakes are stuffed, iced, and topped entirely by hand. And because Baked by Melissa uses only the most delicious ingredients like Hershey's fudge, Oreo cookies, each bite is perfection. I love that the mini cupcakes are bite-sized so you can try several different flavors. And most flavors are 50 calories or less, so you can just enjoy them without the guilt. My favorites were the sugar cookie dough, which had a perfect little piece of real cookie dough on top, and the electric tie-dye cupcake, which is exactly as fun and colorful as it sounds. The Baked by Melissa's exclusive Mother's Day flavors include classic s'mores, the electric tie-dye Mandy talked about, strawberry milkshake, which is made with real strawberries, the sugar cookie, vanilla and sprinkles, and chocolate blackout, which of course my daughter could not wait to steal from me. But that's okay because there were several of each flavor in the package for me to share or eat in quiet in my closet once everyone's gone to sleep. My personal favorite would have to be the strawberry milkshake cupcake. It was just the perfect size and was rich in flavor without leaving you with the dreaded food hangover after eating it. Baked by Melissa offers one and two day shipping nationwide and it's guaranteed to arrive fresh and delicious. Remember, the last day for standard shipping for Mother's Day is Thursday, May 9th. This Mother's Day, send all the moms in your life the perfect gift with Baked by Melissa. Go to bakedbymelissa.com today and use promo code MOMSANDMURDER to get 15% off your next order. This is a special offer exclusively for podcast listeners, so make sure you take advantage. That's 15% off at bakedbymelissa.com using promo code MOMSANDMURDER. Winter is not coming. Winter is going away. Yay! And with that, the winter blues are coming to an end. It's finally time to get back into a routine that empowers you to feel your healthiest. Give yourself an extra boost this season, whether you're looking for more energy, better sleep, to manage stress, or something else to help you feel your healthiest. And you can do that with Care Of's personalized vitamins and supplements. Care Of offers a fun online quiz that asks you questions about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices. And it only takes about five minutes to find out your personal, scientifically-backed vitamin and supplement recommendations. The thing I really enjoyed about the Care Of quiz was that I was able to be really honest with my needs and wants for a healthy lifestyle while admitting that I may drink three Diet Cokes a day just to survive or five. Either way, I didn't have to see the judgmental look of a doctor while saying it. Your personalized Care Of subscription box gets sent right to your door every month with personalized daily packs, great for a busy on-the-go lifestyle or just for those of us that are a little lazy and a little more forgetful. I love the funny quotes and sayings on each personalized pack that has my name printed right on the front. Care Of makes sure you're getting vitamins and protein from the best sources backed by honest guidance and transparency. Also, Care Of now offers protein powders available in individual packets for those on the go and available also in tubs. 
all personalized to your fitness goals and dietary preferences. For 50% off your first Care of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter Moms50. Again, for 50% off your first Care of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter Moms50. Now, back to the episode. So before we took the break, we were talking about Dean and how really gifted and talented he was in all these different areas, especially in, you know, art and painting. And he trained with Salvador Dali himself. So he actually really did have some success with his art. And he even sold some paintings to the writer William S. Burroughs, who ended up becoming his writing mentor. So Burroughs was kind of similar to Salvador Dali and was actually an important part of the history of the arts. He wrote 18 novels and several short stories, and his most notable works are the books called Naked Lunch and Junkie. In 1951, he actually killed his wife while drunkenly attempting a William Tell stunt, but that is, of course, a whole other story for another time. So this unique friendship between Dean and Burroughs had begun in 1975 when Dean was 18 years old. He was seeking advice on a manuscript that he was writing, and he sent it to Burroughs, hoping for some critique and some guidance. Dean and Burroughs developed a kind of pen pal relationship, and they would often correspond while Dean was on his many exotic trips around the world looking for all these snakes. He often visited Burroughs at his home, where they would exchange things like knives, guns, snakes, and even a human skull that Dean claimed to have robbed from a grave as a teenager— I just have so many questions about how that <laughs> how that happens. We have no confirmation on that. That's just like one of the things that came up. But uh, yeah. no one knows for sure if he did this. Yeah. So during one of his visits, Dean accidentally set a cobra loose in Burroughs' living room. I just can imagine. It seems like Dean had a lot of mishaps with his snakes getting loose. So I watched a couple of YouTube clips of him. And like whenever he was on the news and similar to like when the crocodile hunter would go or I'm sorry, yeah, the Crocodile Hunter, whenever he would go on like Jay Leno and stuff. But he's just like casually with a venomous snake in front of like a news reporter who's like way off to the side and just like answering questions and very like, yeah, I mean, I mean, he could kill you if he he attacked you, but yeah, <laughs> he's not really going to do that. And you're like, what, Dean? Please show a little. <laughs> this is scary to everyone else. But to him, that was just such a way of life. Like it just was not scary. He knew how to handle them. Their unique friendship continued until 1997 when Dean was at Burroughs' bedside when he died after complications from a heart attack that he had suffered a day prior. So during Dean's exotic travels, he met a beautiful woman named Regina Mertens, and she was the daughter of German parents who were living in Brazil. Regina became fascinated with Dean and the work that he was doing. And this was actually a really good match for Dean because Regina was fearless around snakes. And she started helping Dean to wrangle and, you know, capture these exotic snakes. Because of the dangers of this type of work, Dean suffered 12 venomous snake bites over the course of his entire career. Seven of those bites were from the exceptionally deadly Bushmaster. A Bushmaster's bite is 80% fatal even after anti-venom treatment. I can't imagine getting bit by by one of those one time. Right? Let alone seven times. And I've heard that, like, getting those anti-venom shots is, like, really not a fun experience either. 
I'm just wondering if he was slowly becoming some sort of superhero from all of these bites, like if the Spider-Man syndrome was actually happening. Because that's crazy that you can survive that many, especially that Bushmaster that's 80% fatal and you had seven of those? How? Yeah. I don't know how to do the math on that, but it's insane. So the effects of the many bites that he endured did have their negative effects on him. He had headaches and his hands were weak. He also suffered from malaria, dysentery, and schistosomiasis, which is a disease commonly known as snail disease. It's caused by a parasitic flatworm, and it affects your urinary tract, you know, or intestines. Sounds absolutely horrible. Right? And I was wondering, like, with the weakening of hands and stuff, like, you wonder if, I don't know, I was just thinking that would be really hard to be working with these animals if you're suffering from weakness and stuff. Like, I would imagine that would make your job more difficult. Definitely. So in 2006, Dean and Regina moved to North Carolina together, and along with Dean's father, they built the Cape Fear Serpentarium. Dean and Regina lived in an apartment that was just above the museum. We kind of found this story because if you are familiar with the comedian Nate Bergazzi, if you're not, come on, what are you doing through life? He actually had a special on the stand-ups on Netflix, and he has a new special called The Tennessee Kid. But anyway, he talks about this time that he has a few hours to kill in Wilmington, North Carolina, waiting to start one of his shows. And he says this at the end of his stand-up special. And he and his friends go to the Serpentarium. And I won't give away the entire thing because it's one of my favorite stories ever, but there's a chance some wild animals got out while he was there. And he talks about really how nonchalant Dean was over the whole thing. <laughs> it is so funny. Like, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've seen it. So he describes this whole thing in great detail, so you got to check it out. But it's sort of how I learned about this whole story of Dean and what fascinated me. But at the time, Dean was still alive. <laughs> I'm not giving anything away because we've already said that. Um, but this was back whenever the, the Serpentarium was a big place for people to go. So the Serpentarium actually contained numerous species of the most deadly snakes in the world, saltwater crocodiles, and various species of lizards. Dean and Regina married a year later in 2007, and she worked with him side by side at the Serpentarium and was involved in every aspect of running the business. Dean's dream was that the Serpentarium would continue to be a family business, and they actually had hopes that their son that was born in 2014 would one day take over the Serpentarium and run the museum himself. Dean was entirely self-taught with his brilliance in the field of herpetology. That brilliance earned him much respect as a snake hunter, and many in the field did regard him as a herpetologist, even though he had no formal training. He gained much fame in his field by successfully breeding the deadly Bushmaster snake in captivity, which had never been done before, and it was really difficult to do because I guess these snakes have, their mating ritual had never been witnessed, so this was like a big deal that he was able to breed these snakes in captivity. Dean had actually not given up on any of his other talents either. He still had a need to express himself creatively. For his love of music, he began singing with the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra, a 17-piece orchestra covering classics from Frank Sinatra, Bobby Darin, and Dean Martin. He was a man of extraordinary talents that spanned many disciplines. He was well-known in the town of Wilmington, so when he was shot and killed on May 13, 2017, at the age of 60, in the apartment over the museum, the entire town was in shock. What was even more shocking was that it was at the hands of his wife and partner, Regina. And we're going to get into what led to this murder after one more break for a word from this week's sponsors. What if I 
told you that you would lose 20 pounds in two days by doing nothing but eating broccoli, then I would be lying to you. But I do want to tell you about a thing that can work to help you achieve a healthier lifestyle. Noom is all about trying a different approach than what we grew up hearing about. I love that with Noom, I'm not just tracking meals. I'm tracking my meal habits, and it helps me visualize portion sizes, and I can see the calorie density at a glance. One thing I really love about using Noom is that I have personalized training and my own support team for less than it would cost me to have a single appointment with a nutritionist or a personal trainer. I'm working on building new and better habits for myself, and because of the detail and specifics with the app, I can recognize and change any habits I have that are blocking my success. I'm looking to make better choices with eating for myself and my family. The thing I've been loving the most about Noom is the different approach to healthier living. The program really teaches you how to intuitively make better choices by teaching you why you are occasionally inclined to binge a large bag of hot Cheetos and how to satisfy your cravings without going overboard. Noom has helped me view food in a different light, and it never feels like I'm on a diet. If I have a slip up along the way, I can reach out to my personal goal specialist who can help get me back on track and provide encouragement when I'm feeling like I really, really just cannot ignore that Chipotle burrito bowl calling my name. If I forget to log too many meals in a row, my goal specialist will also reach out to me via text to remind me to keep pursuing my goals. Noom is designed for results. It's out with the old habits and with the new. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, that's N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash moms to start your trial today. Again, that's Noom.com slash moms. Start losing weight for good. Just this year in our Facebook group, I've seen at least 10 people that have gotten engaged and getting engaged is such an exciting time in your life. But between me, you and the microphone I'm yelling into, you guys have to check out Zola. They make planning your wedding and registry super easy. I perused Zola's website the other day and my goodness, the ease of this site. You knew brides and grooms have it so easy. Back in my day, there was no easy all-in-one website. We had to snail mail people information and hope they didn't throw it away. And guess what? They did. Zola has everything covered all in one place. The site itself is beautiful and everything is very easy to figure out, so it makes it a piece of cake for even the most technology-stunted guests. When you're newly engaged, it's hard to know where to start, but with Zola, you can create a free wedding website that's so easy, it just takes minutes to set up, and you can choose from over 100 wedding website designs that are sure to fit any couple's unique style. You can also add to your Zola registry on your wedding website so guests can get the details they need and are able to buy your wedding gift in one convenient and beautiful place. When your registry is easy to use and find, you're 95% less likely to get an It's a Small World jewelry box from the cousin everyone forgot was still around. Plus, your guests will love free shipping and returns, price matching, and more. When my husband and I got married many moons ago, we had guests come from all over. Because not everyone was in the same place, we had to register at a ton of different stores so everyone could find something. Zola would have made this so much easier to just register for gift so anyone could hop online to buy. Plus, there are over 500 top brands from OXO and Cuisine Art to Sonos and Airbnb, or you can register for funds for your honeymoon or a new home. The possibilities are endless. Zola's website also makes it easy to personalize your wedding website with all your wedding details, including a frequently asked questions. Start your free wedding website and get $50 off your registry on Zola. Go to zola.com slash moms. Again, to start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to zola.com slash moms. And now back to the episode. Dean's wife, Regina, who was always by his side at the family business, actually had some health problems as well. Hers weren't the result of snake venom like her husband's, but she had been diagnosed with several mental health conditions throughout her life. She was born in 1976 in Brazil, and by the age of 20, she started showing signs of schizophrenia. During her first psychotic break, she was convinced that she could actually fly and attempted to jump from a balcony. 
Luckily, her father was able to intervene before she actually made the jump. She was officially diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. We don't know what all types of therapies that she actually received in Brazil, but it was known that while she was living in the U.S., she would come off of her medications from time to time. She actually had another psychotic episode in March of 2012 and was prescribed a new medication. In 2014, Dean Ripa actually brought her to a psychiatric hospital in which she was actually in a very catatonic state. This was also the year their son Arkin was born. By 2016, she again had to be admitted to the psychiatric hospital. Further testing and evaluation led to another diagnosis of bipolar disorder, and she also had what her lawyer called additional underlying issues. These times that she was going to the psychiatric hospitals would often occur after she failed to take her medication for sometimes months at a time. And the day she actually killed Dean, she had called 911 90 minutes before she shot him. She was frantic in the call saying that her husband was actually attacking her. She changed her story as a call went on and said her husband and another man were attacking her. Dean actually called 911 himself saying his wife was not well at the time and she had been off of her medications. So these 911 calls kept coming in for the entire 90 minutes, which made me wonder, like, did the police never come in this situation? How did it get to this point if they're calling for 90 minutes? Then a woman calls saying that she hears this woman in distress outside on the street with her three-year-old son. And this lady that called stated that this distressed woman's son was up saying that somebody had hurt his dad. And their son Arkin was actually only three years old at the time, which just hurts your heart to know that he knows enough to know something happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the last call was a man calling to say that Dean had been shot in the head. Dean was actually breathing when 911 was called, but later died on the scene and Regina was arrested for his murder. Regina had actually shot Dean a total of five times, three of which were in the head. During Regina's trial, the prosecutor, Amy White, introduced Dr. Mark Hazelrig, a forensic psychologist. He testified about his five-hour observations of Regina. He classified Regina's psychotic episode as, quote, an insane illusion. At some point prior to the shooting, she had witnessed a cartoon character on TV fighting off some kind of monsters. And according to Dr. Hazelrig, in a moment of delusion, Ripa went from observing that character to believing that she actually was that character fighting these monsters. According to Dr. Hazelrig, this was consistent with a psychotic episode suffered by a person with schizophrenia. The severity of the episode was consistent with someone who had not taken appropriate medication for five to six months. His conclusion was that Ripa was unable to recognize the criminal nature of her behavior, nor was she able to tell right from wrong. Regina was found not guilty by reason of insanity and would be transferred to a state mental health facility. The expenses of her housing at the facility were going to be taken care of by her family, and she was going to have to remain at the facility at the discretion of the courts and the facility director. I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't know your family would pay for that. Do you know what I mean? Because you're not going to prison. Does that make sense? I, I just don't feel like if that's the norm, I don't feel like I've ever heard that in a story. Yeah. And then there's no like determined amount of time that she's going to be there. It's just at the discretion of the courts later and the facility director who's treating her. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I would want more solid yeah, know, information about where she's going to be and stuff like that. So Dean Ripa's family asked that she not be allowed to contact them or their son ever again. Dean's brother-in-law, Steve, said during the trial that there are really no winners in this case. 
He went on to describe his brother-in-law, Dean, as someone who made life just more interesting. Dean's family was determined to keep the Serpentarium open and running, one day fulfilling Dean's dream of their son taking it over. But sadly, just a year after Dean's murder, the museum closed for good and has been sold and will most likely be turned into a dentist's office. And if you're wondering what happened to all of the reptiles when the Serpentarium closed, the Phoenix Herpetological Society in Phoenix, Arizona, stepped in. And according to a Facebook post, $104,000 had been raised through the sale of these reptiles. And that money is going into a trust for the little boy, Arkin Ripa, who was Dean's four-year-old son, which I think is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to see that community that Dean had been so much involved in to come together to take care of his son. If you get a chance to watch some of these YouTube videos, I'll add some links in the show notes. It's so interesting to see him just in his element. And this guy's life, I don't know. I just I don't think I've ever heard of anyone's life who's done this much stuff, like from Salvador Dali to the writer Burroughs. Yeah, and he's, he really does have quite an accomplished list of right. things that he's done. And when his brother said that, or his brother-in-law said that his life, he made life more interesting, that just totally seemed like him so i don't know this story just is interesting to me just based on this netflix special i saw and then just learning more about him he was truly such a really interesting guy so before we get out of here for this week i know that was a little bit different of a story snakes it's not usually our thing we normally steer clear of things like that but that was such an interesting story and like you said the dean ripa is a very interesting guy so Mm -hmm. I would definitely look up some more stuff about him. We, I also listened to like a few of the 911 calls and everything, and they are really interesting to listen to in this case, just kind of getting a feel for what happened in the story. And I do really wonder, though, like if the call started 90 minutes before, at what point did officers and stuff arrive? Yeah, well, that was the one thing that kind of surprised me in this case was that 911 was actually dialed several times and mm. nobody responded to these calls. Nobody went and checked it out. So before we get out of here for this week, we are, of course, going to answer a couple of questions for our last thing before we go segment. So this week we have a question from Savannah, who is a longtime listener to of the show and one of our good friends. And she wants to know what, in our opinion, is the greatest invention of all time? Mandy, do you have a greatest invention of all time? I like a lot of things of modern day, but I have to honestly say something I feel like people do not give enough credit to is indoor plumbing. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. If you've ever had to use a, what are they called? Porta potty somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You will quickly thank your lucky stars for indoor plumbing. Yeah. It is, it's an interesting thing because you take it for granted and you just don't even think about it. Like, but I don't know what I would do if I didn't have indoor plumbing. I would not make it back in the days. I mean, you poop outside. That's the short answer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I agree with you. That is, that's not one I would even think about, but I would really be upset if that was taken away from me. The one I would think is probably kind of in the same, not the same line because mine's not poop related, but air conditioning because we live in Florida and I could not make it. Whenever they talk about how we have signs for some bank here, maybe Fifth Third Bank. I don't remember which bank it is, but it says, which also Fifth Third Bank is the dumbest name for a bank I've ever heard (laughs) my entire life. There are signs that say we were here before air conditioning was in Florida. And I'm like, wow, that is 
that is really something to brag about because most people <laughs> would not want to be here without AC because our AC is really on like almost all year. It's rarely not on, right? Like I'm always yeah. wearing my AC. So, yeah. and fans are not going to cut it for you. So thank you, AC person. We really, if I was drinking something right now, I would pour something out for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I guess people, you know, you could survive without that stuff, but I want indoor plumbing and air conditioning. Yeah, which is very much like a first world problem thing to say. <laughs> very aware of that. But this whole little segment is just silly. So we're just going to go with it. All right. So Melissa S. wants to know what time period we would go back to if we could go back in time. Okay, here's the thing. I'm a bit of a time period snob. I do not watch movies in other time periods. I just cannot relate. And the only time period even show I've ever watched is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is really great. But I had to be convinced that I would not hate that it was in a time period because it was in the 50s, which I'm just so young. I have no idea Wait, what Wait, so you don't 50s. even like to watch TV shows that are set in other time periods? Okay, like 80s, sure. 70s, fine. 50s? No, can't relate. Can't relate. <laughs> if you if it's before like an eight track, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea what's happening. Or do you like stuff before that? Well, I do sometimes. Sometimes like I don't know. I like it <laughs> sometimes. I will say sometimes. I don't always. I don't like when things are set really, really far back in time, like medieval times. No. Just because I don't understand what on earth they're saying. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, mine comes from that <laughs> that sort of place too. And I just feel kind of stupid because I'm like, I don't understand these words that don't have contractions <laughs> in them. <laughs> like, you're making these words too long. I cannot follow what's going on. And a lot of times there's like British accents, which I love, but I can't, I'm just not smart enough to follow it. I will just say it. I'm not smart enough to follow it. So if you put it in a new yeah. time period and Kira Knightley starring in it, I don't want anything to do with it. I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> so if I had to go back to a time period, though, what would it be? And like, honestly, like you said, I'm too scared to go back too far. I don't want to go back like before the days of like a lot of common luxuries. Like air conditioning know, and plumbing. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I always joke and say like that I feel like I was born in the wrong era and I should have been around in like the 60s and 70s. But I don't even think I would really go back to that. You know what time period I really loved? The 90s. I would just go and live the 90s for the rest of my days. I think the 90s were great. Um, I'm going to agree with you. Wow, this is so boring. <laughs> but really, like I would love to be around when the moon landing happened. Don't tell me your thoughts on moon landing. I'm just going to believe that you believe it happened. <laughs> but I think that would be a really cool time to be alive. And there's all these big things in history. And it could be neat to be alive when, you know, and it would be cool to be around in the time when the Declaration of Independence was signed and all of this stuff just to like be a fly on the wall. That would be really, really cool. But ultimately, yeah, I loved the 90s. I didn't do well in the 90s, and my life is most best – or most best. My life is best described as a show, Pin 15. Have you seen Pin 15 yet, Mandy? No, it's on my list. Okay, please stop with your list. <laughs> it's a show on Hulu. If you haven't watched it and you graduated in the time around 2000 or you were in middle school or anything like that, you will love this show. It has heart. It has funny – I have not answered this question that Melissa S. was asking at all, but it's really, really, really funny, and I keep pushing it on people. And Mandy, it has to go up on your list because you're going to watch it and be like, oh, I love this show, Pin 15. Have you heard of it? I'll be like, I told you about it. You'll be like, mm, I don't remember <laughs> you telling me about it. 
<laughs> like I post about it all the time. But anyway, it's really great. But yeah, I agree. It's just like a simpler time. And it might just be because that was our youth and life was easier then, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But I don't want to be back in the pre-air conditioning and plumbing. That sounds miserable. Oh, and wearing corsets and dresses and everything also, like while you're hot and there's no air. Can you imagine? I just would never have made it in those days. I guess you just didn't have a choice. You just did it because that was life. But no, thank you. That sounds awful. And people would just expect a lot from me, like a lot more than they're expecting now. (laughs) (laughs) I can firmly say I would not be able to come through. I would be somebody that like people would be like, do you want to marry my sister? And then be like, absolutely not. (laughs) Who else do you have in your family? (laughs) I would not be like at the top of anybody's pick. So thank goodness for the year that we're alive in. And we're alive in a time when The Office is still on TV, which is the greatest time of, well, it's not really on TV, but it's on Netflix. I have a fever. I'm not feeling very good. So let's just wrap this up because I am just babbling. (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks for checking us out this week. We will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.